Hey, Ding Dongs, I'm Jamie. I'm Richard. And this is Explain It to Jamie, the political comedy podcast in which I, Jamie, a politically innocent but curious fella from Toronto, Canada, has the complicated political happenings of the world explained to me by my politically savvy friend, Richard Lamb. Rick, how's it going? It is going great, Jamie. Uh, it's winter in Canada. Everyone is buried under a howling, shrieking mountain of snow. The winds whip like knives. Nobody is happy. Everyone is sad. Welcome to half of the year in the country we live in. Oh, Canada. <laughs> yeah, man. Is the weather fucked up out, out in BC as well? Yes, it's unbelievable. It's like a once-in-a-decade snowstorm right now in, in Vancouver. It snowed for the last three consecutive days. There's like two, there's like almost a foot of snow on the ground, which doesn't sound like very much if you're from a place that snows a lot. But in Vancouver, right. that is like a crazy amount of snow. Many schools are canceled. Like, you know, people are staying home. It's just a nightmare here. And it's everywhere because Alberta is like minus 50 right now. And I'm in Toronto, where, which where it is currently pouring rain. Um, but we had a blizzard this morning, so now the four or five inches of snow that we've got is crusting over with ice, which yeah, and I think the most makes the TTC work better. The TTC is actually powered by, like, human misery, so <laughs> the more miserable people are, the better it works. When things are really happy, the TTC, like, grinds to a halt because it needs to, you know, fuel itself up more on that, tears that, and, and grumbling. That. That's right. Misery and TTC, like peak operation, work in opposite parabola to each other. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> the further they both get from zero, the better and worse they operate. Um, yeah, there's only hey, three things you, inevitable you, in the world. Death, taxes, and the short turn. <laughs> you know who I bet would have a lot of opinions about the weather outside, Rick? Who's that? Bernie Sanders. Oh, oh, we talking about Bernie today. Man, can you believe that they, they they just had like such a regular chat, like two normal Joes, and he weaved it in it, with no issue at all. Do they write this? Do we write it's this, frankly, Richard? It's astonishing. It's like yeah. watching a trapeze artist <laughs> of the voice. Um, yeah, no, today I want to talk about uh, Bernie Sanders, or as you call him, your god. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. right. He's my he's my dad. He's my dad, <laughs> yeah. and I'm his son. Um, yeah. No, I like you know I I am a left leaning gentleman, as what? you may be aware, Jamie. That's um, and I'm crazy. yeah I'm a fan of Bernie only to the extent that Bernie is doing. He's essentially like the most visible left politician in North America right now, and he has right. done incredible things for furthering the cause of leftist politics. Do I like love? Him? I don't actually like care about him really as a person that much. I mean, I you know don't wish ill on him, but I, I it's not him that I like. It's that he's like a staunch advocate for things I like, and that key little fact is something that still eludes many many people in our like broken world politics that we have right now where everything is based around like identity and it's all just like a weird reality show he really stands i think staunchly in opposition to that and people refuse to accept it it's it's a cause of a lot of uh, misunderstandings and heartache in the world yeah and all the while he was a head writer and producer for seinfeld i know unbelievable right and, and curb star your enthusiasm of curb your enthusiasm yeah he's incredible he's a tour de force I know. The guy, I mean, um, he gets himself into all those awkward jams, but he always kind of gets out of them. Speaking of theme songs, Jamie, why don't we pivot from your incredible you know, goosebump-raising rendition of the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song and, and head into ours. Yeah, baby, let's put these things side by side. Oh, God, this is going to be nightmare. 
They sound oh, pretty wow. good next to each other. Hey? Yeah, I agreed. That was some like um, Stravinsky shit right there. That yeah. was like I'm gonna call DJ Khaled. You're yeah. <laughs> you're just like uh you're just like girl talk. <laughs> girl clock. Girl talk. Remember girl talk? Oh yeah. Yeah. But he was that DJ who like everyone was obsessed he has, like, with two, in the like two, m- mid two thousand. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And everyone was like Oh my God! Mashups of hip hop and and pop and rock songs. What in like two thousand and seven or whatever? Yeah, man. I think I still got Girl Talk on my iTunes. Shout out to Girl Talk. Yeah. If you ever want to come on the uh, on the podcast, let let us know. Yeah, Girl Talk. If you ever want to come and remix our theme song with like another popular theme song, you know, you just come right on, man. Yeah. Hashtag Where Is Girl Talk, everybody. Okay, so Jamie, what (sighs) do you know about Bernie Sanders? Um, I mean, kind of nothing. Uh, like, well, no, that's not true. I, he was he was a big deal. He he was he's a Democrat in the Democratic Party. He he ran sort of as an independent in the Democratic Party. Sort of he kind of hijacked it a little bit. I know mm. he's like really left leaning socialist. Um, is the word that people love to throw around with him. I don't know. I can't speak for him, but yeah, you know. Yeah, he seems like a good guy. He's sort of the first politician that a lot of people my age, it seems, were like, hey, yeah, I have been thinking that that might be a good idea. Why haven't... I've always assumed that, like, this is just purely impossible, but he's 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 saying... Yeah, he's saying it's not. Is that yeah, a clear totally. explanation of a person? Just, like, me <laughs> just opening my brain up and letting all the information and words fall out of my mouth like like a, a, a toilet bowl? Is that... Is that that's... That's what it, this show is. Well, right? J- Jamie, if this was your master's thesis, maybe you'd be in trouble. But I actually really like that you just did that because to be like, this is exactly what the mandate of the show is. Like, you just yeah. by existing in the world have absorbed <laughs> all of these weird, free-floating terms and vocabulary to describe Bernie Sanders, and only some of them are accurate, some of them are wrong, some of them are very editorial and probably not true, um, or like you know, they're a matter of very specific people's opinion. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? What you absorb. Like and what's opinion and what's fact? That's kind of what we're here to parse through and sl- you know slice through the undergrowth of mystery to reveal the cold hard um, lost temple of truth, so to speak. <laughs> you with me I on mean, that metaphor? This is, you're very silent right now. I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm I, I stopped following a while ago because the echo of the word hero kept ro- echoing in my brain, and I thought, <laughs> you yeah, are, maybe you I am are the hero. Maybe I the hero am. Gotham needs. Okay, so <laughs> we're seven and a half minutes into this podcast, and we haven't really talked about Bernie Sanders yet, so let's jump on in. Perfect. Our killing time mandate is in full swing. <laughs> <laughs> so Bernie Sanders is a currently sitting uh, independent senator in the United States Senate. Um, right. you, were, you, you kind of correctly identified, wait, is he an independent? Is he a Democrat? What's the deal with that? The answer is he's always been an independent. He's never been a part of... Of the Democratic Party, but when he's in, con- he was in Congress for a number of years, and now he's in the Senate. He's been in the Senate for two terms, so like almost close to twelve years now. Um, he uh, 
he, he sits with the Democrats, he caucuses with the Democrats. So he's an independent, he's not beholden to the Democrats, he could do his own thing, but he kind of works with them, he adds his weight to the Democratic team on certain things, but he splits from the Democrats on many things as well. Um, and that independence has let him kind of spend his whole career as a real leftist, as a person who was really advocating for left-wing policies, and sometimes just common sense policies as well, when common sense was not the democratic consensus in America. Many of the dumbest and most absurd things that America has gotten itself into over the last 15 years that happened while Bernie was either in the House of, in Congress, or in Senate, Bernie was able to just, you know, stand up against, break ranks with the Democrats, call it out for what it was, because he wasn't really under the same kind of obligations that a sitting Democrat was to get resources from the Democratic Party when campaign time came around. So to literally toe the party line, he doesn't have to do that. Right. Now, this seems to me because you and I, uh, you know, we we wander through these woods and find new pastures on which to graze. But we find ourselves circling the same trees every now and then. And, and I think <laughs> I, I think this is like a good example of like the value of having more than two parties. You know what I mean? Oh, God, it's like yes. when you have a third person, even just a third single individual to step out and say, hey, you're both fucked. What if the truth is over here? You know, like that, it gives dimension to the, to the way we, we govern, you know? Oh, absolutely. And if there were four or five Bernie Sanderses in the Senate, like American politics would be completely changed. Like everything would be different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think, so to be honest, everything would be significantly better. Now, I think part of the reason that Bernie is special and part of the reason that he should be taken very seriously as a force and a leader in American politics is that there really aren't very many Bernies because American politics is an incredibly corrupting place. Um, I don't know if you saw, there was a kind of viral video this week of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez speaking um, kind of on a committee questioning uh, about like what's legal in terms of campaign financing in America. She and she was doing this to prove the point that like very everybody many things are that. legal. Yeah, so you saw that video. <laughs> no, I didn't see it. No. I didn't no, I didn't watch that, Richard. That oh, I have wow, a okay. show I that I'm responsible for. I I know I I I, I wanted to watch it so badly. See I, to me I, that I was... <laughs> <laughs> that video to me was like the Super Bowl. So I mean I really like I actually you really had me going there. I really thought you no, had No, I it. love you to death, Richard, but no, I didn't watch it. I've been anyway. watching Flowers on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um <laughs> All the cool kids were watching this video of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez where she basically says like, okay, look, if I'm an immoral person and I want to get elected, like it's legal for me. It is legal for me to take a shitload of money from huge pharmaceutical companies or oil companies. And then once I get elected and I've taken all, like I can have my whole campaign finance millions and millions of dollars by these companies. Is there any law that prevents me from making laws that completely favor those companies over other companies? No, there's not. Right? That was right. basically what she identifies. So in American politics, it's harder not to take dirty money and be on somebody's dime than it is to take it. You know, um, friend of the show, Anthony McMahon, was working just on a Toronto City Council election. And he said that um, every uh, he was working for a, um, a candidate who does not take money from developers, like a longstanding uh, city councilor in Toronto who doesn't take money from developers who are kind of like, you know, the evil big money in Toronto right now. 
Right. And he said that every day during their campaign, a bunch of people from developers would walk in with a check for the absolute maximum campaign contribution and just try to give it to them. And they had to literally actively turn them away every day. Like, like some people will be throwing money at you. You have to work to refuse it. So to wow. actually spend your whole political, and that's just Toronto City Council, like the United States fucking Senate, right? To spend your yeah. whole career not getting on the hook to those kinds of interests, those big businesses that really don't want things to be more equal. At the end of the day, I think that's really what it's about. Um, right. That takes a, well, a special kind of person. Here's a question, because this is where I always get a bit like, you know, we we like Obama fine, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I he, mean, I got ish with Obama, but we could definitely yeah, talk about yeah. that another time. But he, you know, he just moved into this really, really expensive house in Washington that's like mm-hmm. next door neighbors to Jeff Bezos, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the president of the United States only gets paid like 400000 a year or something like that. And I understand Obama was like, you know, he's a lawyer and he's a lifetime politician. I'm sure he's made good investments and stuff. But like he's living next door to Jeff Bezos. And and I just I can't help. You know, this this sort of always not always because, you know, in Bush's case, I guess they got they come from money. But like, you know, yeah. Where, where is all, is this where the money comes from? You know, because it's, it's certainly more than, you know, half a million dollars a year is nothing to sneeze at. But like it's. You're living next door to Jeff Bezos. I would Im- imagine that you are making Jeff Bezos money. You know what I mean? It's, or it's Jeff Bezos sig- significantly. Money. It's significantly darker than that, actually, Jamie. And it's a lot more obvious than you would think. It's pretty sad. And I mean, it's one of the reasons why we all liked Obama on some level, I think, because he made us feel comfortable. Like Obama's presence as the president of the United States made us feel that we're on the right track. And even if things seem dark or there's like a blip where things seem, you know, hateful and regressive and right wing and reactionary, that that at least we're making progress. We have this man here and he was soothing. He seemed like a good leader. But actually, the stuff he did wasn't really that progressive with the time right. that he had available to him. And his term's over now. Like his legacy as a president is not very progressive. Um, right. And the ultimate, like what I'm talking about is this is kind of sad and kind of dark, is that one of the first things he did in office was the Wall Street bailout, right? Where he gave billions of dollars to save these failing banks who, again, we talked about on another episode, just ruthlessly fucked the economy over by being insanely greedy and immoral, right? Right. And he totally saved them. And immediately after leaving office, Obama began receiving like multiple hundred thousand dollars a pop uh, speaker's fees to speak to these same banks. Right. So it's kind of like, a you know, you scratch our back. It's not just about getting the money to get elected. It's like, if you take care of us while we're, while you're in office, when you leave we'll office, you like, yeah, you, like, we, you know, you could do a, one speaker's event a month at the rates that they're doing and you'd make over a million dollars a year, right? You'd make, right. you'd make maybe right. $2 million a year just giving a, an, a what, hour long speech <laughs> once a once month, a month. <laughs> you know, right, right. for incredibly rich people who you spent your career taking care of. It is mm-hmm. once you get in the room, you know, seeing yourself uh, taking care of your own wealth becomes a much easier proposition if you're willing to have no, mor- no morals about it, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, like, even Donald Trump, I'm sure, you know, if if he ever is not president, will, uh, you know, his brand is is forever embossed in 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 the history of being the president of the United States. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No matter what happens, he will always have been the president of the United States and can and can thus, you know, charge a certain amount just to be somewhere. Yeah, totally. You know, I guess that's true. Yeah, I just always get a bit funny about that. Cause, you know, especially with the guys that, that really pretend, you know, when, when they do come from nowhere and then suddenly they have, I don't know, you know, because you're only president for four years. That's two million bucks, you know, before tax. Mm-hmm. Or four years, you know, or or eight years, and that's $4 million before tax. You know, that's like... Good investments are good investments, but I, I I knew there was more money coming from somewhere. Okay, so anyway, so Bernie is, is or sorry, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was making this speech uh, ab- about these guys who were taking money. Yeah, and basically, it's easier to take money than than not to. Yeah, and and the whole problem with American politics right now is that the Democrats and Republicans can only disagree on a very small number of issues because they're all taking money from these same people to steer the ship generally in the same direction about the most important things in the country, right? Right. So the Democrats, the mainstream Democrats, do not want Medicare for all, right? Because Uh. health insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies are paying them. They pay for candidates. They lobby and give money to candidates so that that doesn't happen. Because the private health insurance industry, it extracts a trillion dollars like a year from mm-hmm. Americans. I think that's I think that is the number. It's like they and the reason they do that is because they're able to massively inflate prices, right? Um mm-hmm. we've talked many times about healthcare on the American healthcare on this show, so you know, take a look back through our episodes. I won't get into it here, but that's a good example of a place where, you know, we've talked so many times, we come from a country that has single payer healthcare. It works. It's not obviously it's not a fantasy utopia, but we walk around in fear as, you know, we are two people who are not overly rich. We are two people who in America, if we had a medical emergency, we'd be bankrupted. Like you just yes. went out to get a coffee. And if you slipped on the ice and broke your leg in America, you could be facing tens of thousands of dollars in medical bills minimum. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we walk around with no fear that that will happen to us because it won't. Yeah. And, and so we know that this is not a, a fantasy. This is our real lives. This has been the case since long before... Um, we were born. And yet in America, there's so much resistance to the, even like the, the, the feasibility of this idea. And don't you start to wonder like, why the fuck are people so weird about this? And the answer is that they're being paid to be weird about it. Right. On both parties, on both sides. So right now, the whole reason that Medicare for all has become a mainstream political fight is because of Bernie. Like, there's no other reason. Bernie has been championing, championing Medicare for all for basically his entire political career at the federal level. And right. it's because he doesn't take money from those companies who, who want him to be silent. You know, Hillary Clinton right. said that single-player health care was a fantasy in 2016, right? But And right. we've come so far now from that. In just two years, Bernie and his visibility – and his his platform have moved the the conversation so far now that there's many candidates who support Medicare for all in the Democratic Party. And so I think that that's a great example of the power that he has in the national imagination. Right. Also, historical asterisks, when Richard says that he and I live in a country where there's free health care, we do at the time of this recording 
Um, if you are uh, listening to this in the year 2028 and, uh, and the wasteland is, is just uh, gravel and the dust from human bones. Yeah, Ontario <laughs> is officially now renamed to Ford Nation, just like fucking Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If that's the case, then obviously this, this podcast is a little bit out of date, but we do still appreciate your support. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, um, wasteland (laughs) dweller, whoever you may be. I hope that your struggles to uh, avoid Immortan Joe continue fruitfully for the rest of your time. Yeah, yeah. And say, wasteland uh, uh, neuromancer, um, if you uh, are enjoying this podcast, um, perhaps you would care to visit our Patreon and uh, and so, uh, donate a little bit of money if that's still up and going. We have bonus material that comes out every week, theoretically, if the apocalypse has not claimed both Richard and I or separated yes. us via a giant fissure in Manitoba. Um, we uh, we would really appreciate your patronage but of course yeah. you know the the episodes are free so go on our website and just you know listen to back episodes we got hours of them and if you are listening to this in the present patreon.com slash explain to jamie if you want to <laughs> support us if you like what you're hearing and if you want to check out our bonus episodes of which there are quite a few now they're building up every week and and yeah. they're about some cool stuff cool cool last stuff. week last week we roasted um howard schultz and his presidential run and we read a very, yeah. very stupid article about it and we had a really good time making fun of it well, was, okay, here, this leads me to another question, oh, Ricky, because yep. Mr. Howard Schultz is uh, an aspiring independent presidential candidate who right. may like to follow in all Bernie's footsteps and and prove himself to be uh, to be a, a commander-in-chief one day. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what makes him so different? Well, there's a couple of things actually that do make him different. Number one, Howard Schultz doesn't want to run in the Democratic primary and win the Democratic nomination. He wants to run as a third party independent, right? So Bernie, even though he isn't independent, he's running to be the Democratic Party nominee. That's what he did in 2016. And that's what I think he's gearing up to do again now. He's still being coy about officially announcing, but it's pretty much looking like a done deal that he's going to announce that he's going to run. Um, so, oh wait, so, so so Bernie Sanders only he's a, he's an independent senator. Yes, but when the Democratic Party nomination primaries came around last time, he ran as a Democrat. Yeah, that's right. He he okay, he okay, went. Okay. He ran in the Democratic nomination, and I guess yeah, if he had won, like, he would have become a Democrat. No, you are you are correct. And okay, actually, cool, we cool. have we have to talk about this because it's a pretty nutso story about what happened to him. Now, as we know, he lost to Hillary Clinton, but yeah. he he lost in a way that was really really kind of dark and messed up, and that caused a lot of ill will in the Democratic Party that still very much exists. So it's really right. a part of the modern dynamic with Bernie, and you definitely have to understand it to understand where he's at today. Uh-huh. So can I can I take a guess? Yeah, Hillary him. Hillary Clinton invited him to a secret meeting, wherein <laughs> he walked into a room whose walls were lined with the heads of dead white elephants, <laughs> and she said to him, "I heard you like elephants, so I wanted us to have this meeting in this room." <laughs> Was oh, it a threat, back. or did she just misinterpret uh, a, a gesture, or did she learn this lesson before? That's right. Hillary Clinton led. She Hillary Clinton led Bernie Sanders into a room with um, a bunch of dead socialized healthcare programs mounted <laughs> on the wall, and she was like, "I hear you like single player healthcare, so here is uh, a bunch of medical bills." 
<laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you are correct. No, you're not correct. You're totally wrong. You're nowhere even close to correct. Um, yeah. Okay, so Democratic primaries are actually, um, the, and specifically the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have like different structures for their primary. We're not going to talk about the Republicans today, mostly because I didn't really research it in detail, so I'm not going to talk about it. I, but yeah. the Democratic primary, it kind of works the same way that um, like the Electoral College works, which as you know is a confusing system that weights different states um, with a different like number of votes for who gets the president, right? So you have to win the state to get those electoral college votes, and then whoever gets the most electoral college votes wins the presidency. It's kind of like that, where um, but it's a slightly it's a slightly more uh, rational system where basically every state has a certain number of delegates, okay? And they all, I think they all have different numbers, but let's just say, for example, you'd have 100 delegates in a state. What that means is those are like designated Democratic Party people who are going to pick who the nominee is on behalf of that state. So if we're in California, there's 100 California Democratic Party people, and they will choose, they will all vote on who California thinks should be the nominee. And they do that in every state, and then the person who gets the most delegates across the country theoretically becomes the nominee. However, you may have noticed that's not actually that democratic, right? It's like, well, who are the hundred people who get picked or whatever, right? right. So the way that – and that was originally back in like the 19th century, it was sort of undemocratic. It was just left up to a small number of prominent Democrats or whatever in the state. But now um, – they, they realized in the mid-20th century, you know what, this is kind of like doesn't give a lot of choice to, pe- to the actual people. So now Democratic Party voters, you can like register to vote. You, if you're a party Democrat, like a registered Democratic member, any person can vote in the primary. And, and, and then also you can – if you're an independent, you can vote in the Democratic primary. But you can only vote in one party's primary. If you vote in the Democratic Party primary, you can't also vote in the Republican Party primary. Um, right. And then what happens is everybody votes who's eligible, all those Democrats, and then the delegates basically vote how they how their state votes, right? So if um, if it's like fifty five percent Bernie, forty five percent Hillary in California, and there's those hundred delegates, then they'll say fifty five of them have gone for Bernie and forty five have gone for Hillary. Okay, does that make sense? I'm not gonna lie to you, Rick. The, the same thing just happened to me as what happened to me <laughs> in grade eight social class where I was just like, okay, I'm too far behind now. Just right. nod, smile, and we'll get them on the midterm. Well, think of it you like know? this. It's like, you know you know that Rick and Morty where they're like, it's like slavery with extra steps. It's like yeah. democracy with extra steps. It's like this weird evolution in democracy where okay. for, some, for some reason, it's like you could just say, okay, the vote went. It, okay, it's like the delegates – are like the points, the points, the primary points available mm. in the state. So basically it's just the people who are Democrats in the state vote for who they want to be the nominee. And then who they basically win the points available based on the percentages they get, right? And then they have right. to add up those points across all 50 states. Uh-huh. Right? I see. Okay. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Yeah. They vote yeah, so Right. So, and those are called delegates, right? Those are like the, the pledge delegates. So basically when primary season comes around, they go like state by state. Sometimes there's a couple states who all vote on the same day. The first one mm-hmm. is infamously Iowa, which is why everyone always gets obsessed with Iowa like once every four years, right? When the primaries <laughs> start to happen because Iowa is the first one. So it makes a big difference. Like, you know, it yeah. creates the momentum. It kind of creates the storylines. Um, 
And so you try to go around getting more delegates in every state. Finally, the person with the most, the majority, when you get a majority of the delegates in the country available, you become the nominee. But there's a huge catch. And the huge catch is in addition to just the ones, like all the points that you can win from winning states, there right. used to just be- You have be, to win an obstacle course. <laughs> like essentially- Bernie except being the obstacle being an 85 year old man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bernie versus, can you imagine Bernie versus Hillary in an obstacle course? Like yikes. Oh boy, yeah, kill um, me. That'd be a boring hour and a half of TV. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, the catch was- um, the, the, this system was too democratic. And what that means is that a few times in the mid-20th century, Democrat, the primary process created a nominee who the Democratic Party like staff didn't really like, who they thought wasn't very electable or was very outside of their personal networks. And those people often got their butts handed to them. Um, right. And so they made a big change in the 80s um, where in addition to okay, you can win all the, it's like all these points are available by winning, the, every state will vote and that's all the points that are available. Whoever wins the most points from states voting wins the nomination. They also right. just made a bunch of people who work for the Democratic Party also count. So it's like, and at one point there was almost like 20% of the votes were just people in the Democratic Party who got to pick what their vote was. And those were called super delegates, right? right? So the normal points are called delegates. And so it's like, okay, sure, you get a big, you could, so theoretically a situation could come about where you could win a, a majority of the votes in the states, but then if all the people working for the Democratic Party who also got to vote liked the second place person, they could just vote that person into the nomination. That's what they wanted, right? right? So wow. what happened with Hillary and Bernie is that there was a lot of rumors during the campaign that all of the superdelegates, all of the people who work for the Democratic Party, really wanted Hillary to win and really didn't want Hillary to win. And these superdelegates, uh, uh, sorry, really want, didn't, didn't want, want Bernie, Bernie to win, win and wanted Hillary to win. Right. Um, and, and these superdelegates are a huge part of the primary process because there were several hundred of them and there are many very high-level Democrat staff party staff members like all the way right. through the ranks and they talk um publicly about what candidate they want to win often before the actual primary starts right? right so it's like the momentum is a big deal in these kinds of things and so all the mo if you're all of these delegates and you're already saying like oh we're all going to pledge to Hillary so she automatically has a 200 point lead over Bernie that does a lot for momentum, right? It frames the story mm -hmm. the entire way through. Where it's like, because Bernie was making huge gains. He was winning all these unexpected states, but every single time the story had to be, but Hillary probably still has a lead because of the superdelegates, right? It's hard to get true momentum going. Right. And, and this is, as memory served, this isn't something that's in the Republican Party, right? No, that's right. It? Republican Party doesn't have this exact system. This is unique to the Democratic Party. Um, right, right. And, and it gets even more fucked up. What happened, what came out kind that's of kind right... That's kind of fucked up, isn't it? That's already like, pretty fucked up, but it gets more like fucked that's up. Kind of a, that's kind of a bad guy mechanism to have in your Democratic system, you know? Well, that's the argument. The argument is that that system massively favors the status quo, which as we've discussed is already kind of in the pocket of pharmaceutical companies, health insurance companies, i.e. the financial interests that really did not want Bernie to win 
were the same interests that are funding a lot of these candidates and they want this other candidate to win. Here's a direct mechanism where you can influence the process, not just once you're in the legislature and you're making the laws, like who gets to even be on the ballot, which as we talked about with Lana Cuthbertson, who gets to be on the ballot is a big part of politics and representation in politics, right? Right, right. Um, But guess what? It gets even more fucked up because... It came out right at the, so after, do you remember, I'm sure this is like, this is, this phrase has almost lost all meaning at this point, but let's go back to 2016 and remember when Russia hacked the emails of the Democratic Party and released them, which now, you Uh know, we see about this every day, but it's about the investigation. It's about blah, blah, blah. So we've kind of lost touch with what actually happened. So mm-hmm. what happened was these emails were dropped out into the world just a couple of weeks before the election. They had been hacked out of the Democratic Party servers and released. And they said not only did the Democrats like Hillary Clinton better, Hillary Clinton was actually essentially bankrolling the entire Democratic Party of America at that point because the Democratic Party had been super, super in debt after the Obama campaign, and that debt had not been paid back. They did not have the money anymore to run the party. So Hillary Clinton cut a formal deal on paper with the Democratic Party well before the primaries were done that she would front the entire budget for the Democratic Party in exchange for getting control over how the money was being spent. Now, normally, a presidential candidate does kind of get control of the whole Democratic Party's budget after they get the nomination. That's normal. But right, she but got it before. while she was still running against Bernie. So now it's like you're a super delegate in the Democratic Party. You're a person who works for the party who gets to pick. You get a vote, an undemocratic vote, untempered by any other person's choices about who's going right. to run the party. And one of the candidates is paying your fucking salary, literally, yeah. out of her and It's pocket. a bit of an ironic name for a party, isn't it? It's hilarious. I mean, it's like you can't make it up. But like this literally happened. This is a matter of the public record. And this is a totally overlooked fact in kind of the mainstream narrative. Like this very dark dealing was going on. So people will often say that Bernie is not electable because he couldn't beat Hillary Clinton in the primary. But that was a super, super stacked against him race. And and you can't forget that. That's a big part of what's going on right now. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. So, and he, so he's back for some more punishment. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the primary, so yeah, this is, this is a nice transition. The primaries are happening now. I don't know. Or people are running now. People right? are gearing up. People are announcing now it's going to happen in 2019. It's going to be in a couple right. months. The primaries are gearing up, which is part of why, you know, this is a good topic. Um, mm-hmm. let's say too, like, Trump has been a dark time. Who has stepped up to lead the Democratic Party? Hillary Clinton fucking evaporated, right? Like, where has she gone? Where is she? Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders has been out there, you know, opposing the immigration ban. He's been standing for Medicare for all. You know, he's been fighting for a Green New Deal, which is now legislation that's being tabled by the new Congress, which we will definitely talk about soon on an episode. Um, he He even found time. He saved a woman from being hit by a car. In the last couple of years, you know, like he has been working his butt off for the American right. people. So and he and he consistently polls as the most popular politician in America. Yeah. And he's incredibly popular with people who aren't affiliated with either party independence. So uh-huh. 
I think the Democratic Party is going to have a serious identity crisis over it's going to be the same thing again. They're going to find the party brass are going to find somebody who they want to run against them who's acceptable to the fundraising base of the party, right? That's like that's what their whole thing is going to be. But I think that person right. will probably have a hard time beating Donald Trump. Um and I should say, in in 2018, in August, so like just a couple months ago, seven months ago, um, they changed the rules so that there's way fewer superdelegates now, and they're not allowed to vote until later in the process. So they can't yeah, well, exert was, that same control. They changed those gonna rules. I was going to say, there's a lot of strict regulation on like C- corporation CEOs and what they can and can't say in the public atmosphere right because Mm -hmm. if they say a certain thing and drive the stock price up or drive the stock price down that's fraud right you're you're, people are losing money so i don't understand how we can be so aware of like a good rule like that and not aware of like a clear misuse of the exact same uh uh thing the exact same social reaction you know Someone going, this guy who's running isn't a good idea. We're 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 gonna vote for her, just so you know, yeah. and disregard the fact that our opinions matter re- a lot. Well, the know? Democratic Party created that exact scenario, you know, because they found themselves once or twice in situations where the public liked a candidate that I guess the staff found sort of unelectable or very difficult mm-hmm. to work with or to make appealing to people. I don't think that's a great explanation. I don't think it's it's like moral or justified, but that is the choice they made. They made the choice to centralize a lot of the control. But now mm-hmm. they've let go of a lot of that control, I think precisely because the backlash from people who had supported Bernie was so enormous once it had got out that, that Hillary had done this deal. And that those mm-hmm. re- emails, again, they were leaked right before the election. And I think they alienated a lot of people from voting for Hillary Clinton. Part of the reason there's so much bad blood and there's still a huge contingent of Democratic supporters who hate Bernie is because they think he selfishly, like, you know, prevented people from voting for Hillary because he's and there's like um kind of accusations of misogyny that go with that too. Like, like people would who liked Bernie were so misogynist that they wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I think that's like kind of a fantasy because Bernie right. explicitly did endorse Hillary Clinton. Told everyone who supported him to vote for Hillary Clinton. I just think right. that people thought that was like gross backroom dealing, and at the end of the day, it wouldn't have. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. You know, if you're the kind of voter who wants a change, who doesn't want this big, uh, these big financial lobbying interests to be controlling things, and then you see suddenly Hillary Clinton's engaging in all this kind of stuff, I, I could right. see how you'd make the decision that she wouldn't be that different from a Donald Trump. I think it was not a fully incorrect decision, but who knows where it'll end up, you know? Right, right, right. Interesting. Oh, man. So this year, or next in 2020, Richard, will oh, yeah. you be feeling the burn? I am already feeling the burn, mostly because <laughs> we live in hell and, and yeah. hell is full of fire. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's, he'd be a great candidate. I do think he'd be yeah. a good candidate. I think it would be a huge moment for America if he got the nomination. Um, right. Would he be it, the oldest president ever? I actually don't know. He's 79 now. He's a similar age to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So he's not like vastly younger or older than they are. Um, right. Let me Google that. Let me Google and that. And he's like 60 years younger than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Yeah, that's right. She's like, <laughs> I think I think she was born in the same year as George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, she's um, old. Yes, he would be the oldest president elected, I believe, because he's because um, Ronald Reagan was the oldest president at seventy three. Um, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders' age, and Bernie's oh, he's seventy seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So he's old, but he's old, man. But he's, he's kind of the got choice. One more in him. He's definitely. I think. He, I don't think he has many more than one more in him. Um, right, right. I mean, the thing is, too, like, there's nobody who hits at his level right now. I think Ocasio-Cortez will develop into a candidate who will, if she lives long enough and she doesn't get fucking murdered by some crazy right-wing dude. Um, yeah. Like, like, I think she could easily be rocking a presidential run in 2024. She's actually not old enough to do it this time. You have to be 35 to run for president. And she's, uh-huh. I, I believe, still 29. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. You got to time it because you, you want to... You want to run in a year that you think you can win. Absolutely. But also, like, I don't know. If I was 35, you know, and thinking about being president, I, I don't know that I would run at 35. I might wait till I was 40. You know what I mean? Yeah, the youngest is Kennedy, and he was just in his early 40s. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Interesting. Sweet. The Democratic Party, the, the newlywed and the nearly dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, you should be or their whatever. campaign slogan guy for, the, for next year. I, they, the, I keep sending stuff in, but they don't they don't get back to me. I wonder why that's so weird. Yeah, it is so weird. But I keep getting emails back from some Russian guys. So Oh cool. You know, I hey. Think, I think they're going to the right place. They're so hot right now, you know? Like we yeah, should really so we hot. should just defect. We should become like Russian <laughs> operatives. Okay. And just like that, our podcast got taken off of SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, CSIS. Um, I think I think that's all I need to know about Bernie Sanders, at least for today. Um, if you guys like this topic, uh, if you like their, this episode, please share it. That is the number one thing you can do for us. Uh, tell your friends, whether we, uh, by your mouth or via your keyboard and screen. Um, we are eternally grateful uh, to all of you that uh, support us and write us and ask for suggestions on topics and and uh, just you know, let us know that you're not just some some Ukrainian sex robot on Twitter uh, that's that's hired to uh, retweet us. Uh, yeah, although they do they somewhere. do love our episode about neoliberalism. So you know, holy cow, <laughs> yeah, man! Yeah, the discourse the is high among sex Ukrainian community. sex robots. Um, yeah. And again, um, to one more time, if you do want to support the show, if you like what you hear, um, you can chip us a couple bucks a month on Patreon. Patreon.com slash explain it to Jamie is where you'll find us. There you can get bonus content, um, including bonus episodes every week. And your support yeah. makes a huge difference to us. It really, really does matter. So thank you very much huge, to those huge, who support huge. us already. Yeah, we love you guys. Uh, and until next time, I'm Jamie. I'm Richard. This has been Explain It to Jamie. Bye.